My major pain has, has been invisible. The mobility aid makes it better. It gives me freedom. It can get to the core beliefs we have about ourselves. Don't ever think you're alone. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week I'll be joined by my partner, Andy. We're going to fill you in on all of our travels over the last month and our health and updates on how things have been going. Uh, Things did not go as planned for our trip this year. Andy's had a rough string of luck recently. She had a vocal injury. She's been having a really hard time with her medication for her pituitary adenoma and then took a bad fall. And then she got COVID while we were in Tahoe. Uh, So we actually had to record this separately. Normally we do episodes together in the same room, but uh, this is the first time I've ever talked to Andy over Zoom for the podcast because we are isolating from each other at the moment as she is recovering from COVID. But while Andy's having a string of bad luck, I have been doing a bit better with my health, and I'll update you on that throughout this episode with, you know, things that I've been experiencing as I've been trying new medication with my new doctor and seeming to find some relief from what I've been experiencing, and, you know, talking about the possibility of maybe even finding a way out of the flare-up that I've been in for the last five and a half years. At least that's what I have my sights set on at the moment. It's really, it's really bizarre. Andy's struggling through some really hard things at the moment, and I have been doing a bit better. So we've really kind of switched our energetic balance. Uh, so we'll talk about that as well. Lots to get to. We'll get to it in just a couple minutes. First, I have an exciting announcement that at the end of this month on July 25th at 12 p.m. Pacific time, I'll be hosting a presentation on the Major Pain podcast for the Connectra Society You may remember that uh, several months back, I was asked to participate in a panel on invisible illness with the Connectra Society, and I was honored that they asked me to host my own panel about the podcast. So I got to thinking about, you know, what do I want this panel to be about? I decided to call it Speaking Out About Chronic Illness and invite some fellow chronic illness content creators who have also been guests on the podcast to come and join me for this presentation. So I'm very excited to announce that Amy, Stephanie Perez, and Alana Jacqueline will be joining me for this panel discussion. We're going to talk about, you know, being public about living with chronic illness and the power of that and how you can build community and build representation and awareness around chronic illness by being public because it's something that is often experienced in silence and experienced in solitude. Chronic illness can be incredibly isolating. It was so for me before starting this podcast. So I invited these two content creators to join me in talking about how being public, creating content around chronic illness has made change in our lives and hopefully change the lives of the people who consume that content. So I'm very excited about this panel presentation. Monday, July 25th at 12 p.m. I will get a link to share with you that I'll be sharing in the future of the podcast. But if you'd like to put that on calendars, 12 p.m. Pacific time, July 25th. I got a great email a couple of days ago that I really wanted to share with you. So this is from Morgan, who actually appeared on the podcast back in season one, talking about the EDS triad, Ehlers-Danlos, Mast Cell Activation Syndrome, and POTS. So Morgan says, Hello, Jesse. Considering all of the people that have come on the show with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and the talk about genetic testing, I thought I should clarify about my geneticist's view of things, who has spent decades specializing in EDS and connective tissue disorders. In his opinion, I am classified as having, confirmed through a genetic test showing a collagen mutation, a connective tissue disorder on the EDS spectrum. He doesn't label me as having HEDS, but agrees I fit that subset most. 
every other doctor I've encountered has placed or required me to give a type, which is why I say HEDS based on current guidelines. I don't know what my specific mutation will be classified as, as research comes out, but at the end of the day, there is no arguing that I have EDS. He also feels it's important to have genetic testing to differentiate between other connective tissue disorders, such as Lowy Dietz, which is incredibly similar. At the end of the day, though, genetic testing is a privilege, but if anyone is facing pushback genetically tested or not from doctors, at the bare minimum, there is little excuse not to be labeled as having a connective tissue disorder when matching the symptoms of EDS slash HEDS. I also personally say this, I don't want anyone to think they don't have a connective tissue disorder or type of EDS if a gene slash genes are found for HEDS that doesn't include them. I'm not sure if this is an email worth sharing with anyone else, but I figured I would share it with you in case you feel it's important to share with one of your guests or viewers. Always wishing you the best, Morgan. Morgan, thank you so much for writing in. This is absolutely relevant information to what we've been discussing on the podcast recently surrounding EDS. And, you know, even relevant to myself because I am waiting on my genetic testing results to come back that includes, uh, you know, connective tissue disorders. So I'm very excited that I have um, genetic testing coming in. But, but I, I love your perspective on genetic testing that you shared here uh, and how important it is to, you know, have a doctor who understands these things and who's willing to evaluate you clinically and look at the reality of what you're experiencing. Because if you have hypermobility, um, it is very possible that you might have have some form of Ehlers-Danlos. So um, yeah, great information, Morgan. Thank you so much for sharing. Extra special thank you to our community of listeners on Patreon who helped to make this podcast possible. The financial support coming in through Patreon to produce this show is so, so very appreciated. So extra special thank you to our Patreon producers who are supporting this show at the top tier of $25 per month, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. We have tiers of support starting at $2 per month, and then $7 and $25 per month. Each tier has different bonus recognition, gifts, and content that you will receive. And speaking of the bonus content, everyone who signs up on Patreon, starting at just $2 per month, get, gains access to our monthly bonus episodes where Andy and I sit down and chat. So if you enjoy this episode today uh, with Andy and myself, there's a lot more of the two of us chatting on Patreon. We are going to record a bonus episode for the month of July. Uh, we have not been able to do that yet because we ended up having to come home late from Tahoe because of Andy's COVID situation. We recorded this episode today uh, as I'm about to release this podcast on Tuesday evening. This is the day we record it. So uh, we will be recording our bonus episode hopefully tomorrow. That is the plan and getting that out to you on Patreon within the next couple of days. Thank you all so much for your patience. This was a weird month since we were out of town and then, you know, had to push back our flight home. Uh, but it is coming very soon. We also have a brand new way to support this podcast through our new partner, Rare Patient Voice. And this is a really exciting opportunity. If you have a diagnosis of any kind of illness, you can sign up through Rare Patient Voice to participate in research studies and surveys where you can be paid up to $100 per hour. So, you know, this is a really cool opportunity where you can get paid and you can help to support the podcast at the same time. If you check the description of this podcast, you will find a link to Rare Patient Voice, which is rarepatientvoice.com slash podcast. If you sign up to their services through that link, then you will help to support this show while you are signing up. And that is very much appreciated. 
related, and you can participate in the scientific research around the disease you're living with in the hopes that better management strategies can be found in the future. It is always extremely appreciated to leave us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to this podcast. It's a great way to help us reach new listeners. And while you're at it, share the podcast with a friend on social media or any chronic illness groups you take part in. Uh, we need your help to help to grow this community, grow this podcast. And, you know, I, I want to reach my goal of being able to generate full-time revenue from creating this podcast because... I don't want to ever have to stop doing it. So <laughs> I love doing this. I would love to turn it into a career and I need your help to do so to keep this show going for as long as possible. The last thing I'll say before jumping into our conversation today is that Andy and I are not medical professionals. So as always, do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this show without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our conversation with Andy and I talking about our travels over the past month, our health updates, and unfortunately, Andy's COVID situation. So let's get into it. Andy, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. This is the first time we've ever done not in the same room. I mean, we're in the same building, but you're in your apartment. So this is like the real podcast experience that everyone else gets when we do it over Zoom. <laughs> wow, this, this is cool. Actually, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, wow. I'm getting the, I'm getting the original treatment. <laughs> uh, so this has now become a yearly tradition to go on our Tahoe trip and then talk about it on the podcast. This year is going to be very different from last year. Um, yeah, and we not only went to Tahoe, but we also went to Maine, and we have some stories to share from Maine as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, I mean, the reason we're doing this in separate rooms is because Andy, spoilers for the for the story that we're going to tell today, Andy is recovering from COVID. Andy, how are you feeling? Ugh. <laughs> I'm feeling, physically, I'm feeling much better than I was. Mentally and emotionally, it's been a pretty rough month for me. Yeah. A couple of months. So, um, yeah, just trying to be patient and kind to myself and um, not overly anxious about everything. And Yeah. Yeah, it's been uh, a weird switch. I mean, we're also going to interweave this with my some of my health updates. And I've seen a lot of improvement over the last month. Yeah. Um, and it's been so bizarre. It's like, you know, we talk about, we talked about this in therapy, how we seem to have this weird energetic balance where when one of us is doing poorly, the other one is doing better. And, yeah. you know, we've really flipped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's been strange. It's like, I've been feeling a little better and I want to like do more things. And, um, and yet you've had a string of really horrible things happen. Yeah, it's been hard. Yeah. Um, and you're also but, struggling with your uh, pituitary adenoma medication okay. situation. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is, this is quite frankly been a really hard season in my life. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think <clears throat> something about me is that I really try to be glass well i am a glass half full person i'm really i would say generally very like jolly and positive and um 
Yeah, but I think it's also important to be really honest and frank when you're struggling. And um, I actually, I think this is also kind of a perfect space to be able to be open about that because, you know, someone listening might be di having different struggles, but going through the same experience of this feeling like I just feel like I'm treading water and I can't keep, I can't move forward, you know, um, as much as I try to build momentum forward, it feels like things are working against me. Um, and that feeling is really hard and, and also doing what you can that's in your control to push past that feeling. You know, that's something that I am really in the process of trying to figure out how to do. And it's really challenging. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's, let's talk about what happened right before our trip to Maine that kind of cast a shadow for you over that trip, which was your, your vocal injury. You know, I've, I've mentioned it on the show and we talked about it a bit on the bonus episodes. Um, oh, I was, I was on a bonus episode where I couldn't speak. That's right. I, I talked about it. The robot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had the text-to-speech robot. Uh, I've already forgotten her name. Nikki. Nikki. Um, so yeah, so for, for the main podcast listeners, we haven't gotten to hear it from, from, from your perspective yet. So, uh, tell us about your vocal injury that happened. Sure. Um, so, um, yeah, wow. My brain, I'm like, when was that? <laughs> uh, so late spring I was in rehearsals um, and previews for a new musical that I've been involved with and working on for four and a half years. And this was its very first full main stage production, um, which was at the Fifth Avenue Theater here in Seattle. And so we had gotten through all of the rehearsals um, leading up tech and we were um, on our second preview. And previews, for those who don't know, are especially with a new work, um, you perform at night. It's, it's before you're officially open. So, you know, reviewers can't come and review yet. There's still a lot of changes being made. You perform in the evenings and then they make changes and then you rehearse those changes during the day and then you perform during that night and then they make more changes and they do that for a period of up to about a week. And then after that, they freeze the show, meaning they can't make any more changes and you open and you perform regularly and you know. So we were on our second preview and uh, we had had a rehearsal during the day. I was singing just fine, you know, a, a bit of fatigue from understandably what is a crazy transition out of tech into previews, but feeling fine. And um, we were on this two hour break between when the rehearsal happens and when you do the performance that night and I had this like crazy triple intense triple sneeze thing happen. <laughs> and I went to warm up after and my top register was completely out. Like I couldn't make a note or a sound above a certain range. And the show is very vocally rigorous and there's a ton of range in it for, especially for my character. So there was just no way that I'd be able to perform. Meanwhile, my incredible um, cover Eliza um, had never been on the stage, had not done a put in rehearsal, nothing. And we called her basically an hour and a half before the show and said, you got to go on. And, yeah. you know, um, meanwhile, I'm just trying to think about her and I'm trying to think about supporting the team and the show and it's a new work. So that's also a very tender thing. And, 
for the journey of, of the show. And I, again, like I said, been with it for four and a half years. So I'm very connected to the team and the story. And, um, and on top of all of that, this really scary thing is happening and I don't know why, and I don't know what it is. And it's my voice, which is a huge part of not just my career, but like my identity, my personal expression, like singing is a, is, and I, as I've come to really realize over the past couple months is, is a huge part of how I process things emotionally. I write music. So it's like a huge part of how I create and what brings me joy. And um, so anyway, we go, we get my throat looked at. Um, we go, we have actually two appointments um, on the Monday. That was on a Saturday. And on the Monday following, we ended up getting two appointments with ENTs, which are ear, nose, and throat um, doctors who specialize in vocal folds. Um, we ended up, we had one appointment in the morning and one in the afternoon, and this will be relevant later, but the one in the afternoon was with the UW Performing Arts Clinic where they specialize in voice. Um, and the other was just with an ENT that we found through my primary care physician. So in the morning I go, he scopes me, he looks using kind of old technology where he's the only one that can see. Um, they go through your nose. It, it was so painful because I actually had a sinus infection, which I didn't know, which is part of why this happened. But he, they stick this thing up through your nose and down the back of your throat. And the one he had, you know, he can see it, but I can't see anything. There's no record of what he sees. There's no way to capture the images. Um, but what he says is, you know, you have a big blood blister on your vocal fold. Um, and which is, I think he said the result of a hemorrhage. I, I don't really, basically the point is there was a tear in my vocal folds because what he believed was that um, between allergies, the, the, just the amount of use I needed to do for my voice to do the show and the sinus infection, the tissue was very tender and with the sneeze and the vigorousness of it, it just tore. So he said, you know, there's really only one problem diagnosis for this you just have to go on vocal rest and we'll keep checking and when it's healed enough to try to sing again I'll let you know and we really can't control that other than using your voice as absolute minimally as possible and the best case scenario is that you don't even speak and that you just don't use your voice at all so over the course of two weeks I didn't speak um, we kept going back to check with the hopes that I'd be able to go on for the final um weekend of performances and um come the final week of the show after two weeks of vocal rest he said okay i think you can try i think you can try to go back in and oh so we had canceled the appointment with the other clinic because the prognosis was so clear there and we called and asked if we thought do you, should we come in for your second opinion they said no if it's this diagnosis there really is nothing you can do but rest but on our final checkup, when he said, you know, I think you're good to go, I just felt uneasy. I felt like I had no idea what it looked like. I, I, and then he said this sort of thing like, well, if, if you lose your upper range again, definitely come right back. And I thought, <laughs> if you think there's a chance that could happen from using my voice, that makes me uneasy. So anyway, I ended up emailing the other clinic and saying, hey, I'd love a second opinion. Um, so I went to rehearsal on Wednesday. 
I sang in rehearsal. I felt fine. Everything was coming out great. I was a little tired vocally because I hadn't used my voice in two weeks, but I felt good to go on that night. So, so I told Jesse, he ran down to the theater. <laughs> he actually, I went on that night. He saw me in the show that night. The next afternoon was my second opinion appointment. I go in, they look at my chords. They have wonderful brand new technology strobing where they see how the vocal folds move. They have it projected up on a screen so that I can see it. And then they also have a way to capture those images from my medical file so they compare them to my progress. So all these things that I, I had an instinct should have been what I felt at the other clinic, but anyway, they get in there, they look and the, there's fresh blood on my vocal cords and they tell me that I cannot go on for the final five performances that I was supposed to and that I need to go back on total vocal rest. So I do, and I don't speak again for another week and the show closes and I go to closing with Jesse and no, I don't end up going to closing with Jesse, but I go with some really good friends. Oh, yeah. Jesse had a really challenging, we were literally getting to go into the car and he had a health um, flare and yeah, like, just couldn't make it. I was like walking that day and then started yeah. to feel rough. And then it's like, okay, well, let's pull out the wheelchair. And yeah. then we go out to the car and I'm in the wheelchair and I can't even get out of the wheelchair to get in the car. And I start yeah. sweating like profusely. And I'm just so dizzy. I'm like, I can't, I cannot go sit in a theater right now. So unfortunately, yeah, I missed the closing, but I did get to see you on that last Wednesday. I saw you on the only show that you did. Yeah. And luckily, honestly, um, you know, I had two really dear friends in town, uh, my friend Frankie and her husband, Adam, who were with me. And I really needed that type of support that night. And I had it. And, and I felt really good about it. And I think this is also just a moment to talk about, like, if your partner has a chronic illness and you're also going through something really hard, and you making sure you have support systems in place where you don't have to make them feel bad. Because in that moment, I really didn't, there have been things Jesse has missed or moments Jesse has missed where I'm like, fuck, I could have used that support. But I didn't feel that at all in that moment. I felt like, actually the best thing that can happen is that I get to just have this experience and I'm not, you know, Jesse gets to go and rest and I get to be with my friends. And it's so hard not speaking and being social. Like it's exhausting. And that particular scenario going to the closing of this show with my, my parents were there, the writers were there. We had dinner before and not being able to speak and all the layers of emotion that were happening for me, like, it was really hard. And I think Jesse very wisely knew that like showing up and being in a place where he was going to need care and he was going to need attention was not the best way to support me in that moment. And the best way was to let me have the space to go. And so I just want to say thank you. Cause that was a great decision well, I, that we made. And it was hard. I couldn't have come even if I try, I did try and I couldn't yeah. make it, you know, there's, yeah, just, but I, you know, there's some days where yeah. the just, you know, your body tells you what to do and you have to listen. Yes. And you have to listen. And that's so true. Um, But so, you know, that happens. And then literally, what was it? It was probably like a week later, we leave from Maine. And, um, you know, I'm I'm just freshly um, told from the doctor, they look at my cords again. They say, look, you've almost completely healed. Here are these exercises you're going to do. There's just a little bit of blood. 
like a bruise and it just needs to absorb. So you're gonna do these exercises with the straw and blah, blah, blah. But then, oh no, we go to, we go to visit your family actually right after that. Right. So we're, we're, you know, I'm, and I'm, I'm still talking is fatiguing to my voice again, cause I haven't used it and it's still recovering. So I'm like monitoring how much I should be speaking because they're, they basically said, do these exercises and speak a moderate amount. And I'm like, what is a moderate amount? Do you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> like, it's just, it's a very, it was actually in some ways harder than not speaking because at least with not speaking, I knew I was doing it right when I was doing it right, you know? Right. With this self-monitoring of how much to use your voice and noticing that it's getting tired from just speech and, you know, I mean, it's just emotional. And then you're in settings, you know, where we went to visit Jesse's family and then we went to Maine for one of my best friend's weddings. And you're in these scenarios where you want to speak or you feel pressure to speak because you're in a social setting where you feel weird not speaking. And it was really emotionally hard. And um, we went to Maine and we should definitely talk about Maine. I'm going to contextualize this whole vocal journey story and then we'll go back. But we went to Maine and you know, I was giving a speech and we were at a wedding and we were meeting a bunch of new people and I was in the bridal party. So we were actually staying at the venue with the rest of the bridal party. And so of course you want to converse and engage and um, yeah. And then the whole time, and then, oh gosh, my allergies were terrible and we were traveling and I was dehydrated. And the whole time I was just like, oh my gosh, so in my head about my voice and doing these exercises and like noticing that my range some days was bigger than other days. And I was like, have I re-injured it? And because I didn't know that I had re-injured it or aggravated the existing injury when we went for the second opinion after doing the one night performance, I was even more in my head about had I hurt myself because I didn't know then that I had made it worse. So how would I know now, you know? And so that all happened. And then um, we came home and literally the day we come home, the next day I wake up, I'm like, okay, fresh page. I'm going to get up. I'm going to walk down to our little corner market. I'm going to get food for breakfast. I'm going to make us breakfast. I'm going to just like start really like getting my life back in order. And I'm walking down the street and I just bite it and I fall and I get this huge, like the front of my right leg just gets totally torn apart. So it was in front of a bunch of people and it was embarrassing and it was like I got a cut all down the front of my right shin on my knee and on my ankle. So then got home, cleaned it up, but then I couldn't really exercise or move very well because the cuts were like right on the joints. So anytime you bend or walk or move your leg, it hurts. And so, you know, I mean, not a big deal. People fall, they scrape their legs, but you know, it's just this other thing of like, okay, well, and then um, we will get into this, but some people in the party that we were meeting in Tahoe tested positive for COVID. We change our plans to arrive in a way that feels safe. I get there and two days later, I have this terrible sore throat and the next day I test positive for COVID. <laughs> And I have to sit in isolation, <laughs> feeling miserable for five days. And then, no, for it, yes, for five days. And we'll get into all that. But this whole journey, this whole story is to say, 
the context of this feeling like when Jesse is like, yeah, she's been going through some stuff, you know, I know that there are so many more challenging things than the things I've been through. And this has been really hard for me and I have been really struggling to find momentum in a positive direction. And on top of all of that, we have increased my dosage on the bromocryptine for my adenoma because I plateaued in the progress of having my prolactin go down. And as I increase the dosage in the medication, um, the side effects of fatigue, anxiety, and depression, which are all major side effects for this medication, um, are kind of dialing up. And so <laughs> that in tandem with those things that happened, that's kind of the space I'm in at the moment. And um, yeah, so... Yeah, it's been, it's been so unfair. <laughs> like so many things <laughs> happening at once. And it's just like insult to injury on top of insult on top of injury, literally. Um, and then, you know, I, just skipping to the end of the story, the reason we're separating today is, you know, Andy tested negative yesterday and has a very slight line today. Today was supposed to be the day where we could get, you know, back together as far as being in the same room unmasked. Um, and now we're a little concerned that she might be having a uh, COVID rebound because, you know, part of the story is that Andy actually got access to Paxlovid, which is this new um, antiviral medication for COVID that seems to really help knock down the infection. Uh, I think it helps to stop it from replicating. So it's something that's you know generally only available for uh, people over a certain age. And Andy was able to get access because you know we were on vacation and she had to fly out and her doctor was able to get it for her. Yeah, um, and I and honestly, the first day I had a really severe. Yeah. The, uh, oh my God, you were. COVID. Yeah, she was rough the my, first day. My resting heart rate was above a hundred. Yeah, and lying down I above a hundred. Speak. I. Yeah. yeah, it was really scary. So, yeah. yeah, and I could see you like panicking because you were so sick. Um, yeah, I was really scared. Yeah, but the Paxlovid seemed to help tremendously. Yeah, but, yeah it was major. Uh, yeah. But yeah, but. I mean, another spoiler alert for the story, but through all of this, like, I didn't get COVID, which was yeah. insane. Yeah. And like, I, I'm not a superstitious person, but I'm literally like knocking on wood right now <laughs> because we just got back two days ago and, you know, in, in the airport, everyone was just hacking and coughing. And I'm just like, you know, when is COVID going to hit me? Because I was like a hundred percent absolutely exposed. Um, but yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Let's back up. Let's talk about Maine a little bit. So our first trip was Maine. And then my perspective from this has been so different because, uh, you know, I've talked a little bit recently on the podcast about how I've been taking anti-inflammatories and noticing a huge difference in how I've been feeling. Yeah. Um, this kind of happened by accident because I tweaked my back and, you know, I just, I stood up and my back went out and, it, you know, I'd never experienced this before of like having a back spasm. Uh, so I, or at least I haven't since I was like a child, you know, I remember having a really bad back incident as a child, but it hasn't happened since then. And uh, I, you know, contacted the emergency room and had like a Zoom visit with someone because I'm like, I think I broke something. And <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, you know, rest, go on ibuprofen and then try to get as much movement as you can. So I was on ibuprofen for like five or six days. And like, yeah, my back was feeling better, but then all of a sudden, like a lot of my other symptoms were feeling better. My ability to use my, my legs was feeling better. And it's like, what is happening? 
So I took that information to my doctor and, uh, you know, she, and you know, there's, there's a whole long story of what I'm trying with my doctor right now. We're trying a whole bunch of different things, but we'll, we'll get to that as well. But then when we go to Maine, we go traveling. That's my first time traveling. And I just decided to keep taking ibuprofen. It's before I'd talk to my doctor. I'm like, wow, I'm feeling a little better. So I'm just going to stay on this for now. Um, and then we go to Maine and uh, I did so much better than I expected to do. You know, I was yeah. able to participate in everything that we did. Uh, I had a couple of rough days and I definitely hit a couple of spots where it's like I, I walked a little more than I should have and uh, paid the price for it. But then the next day I was back up and about with, with the rest of the family. So it was just like a huge shock yeah. how, how well I was functioning. Yes, um, yeah. yeah. And not just, not just on the, uh, the anti-inflammatories, but I've also been put back on uh, metoprolol, which is something I used to take before my flare-up started five years ago. It's one of those medications that can help with weird, mysterious nerve pain. So one of my old doctors put me on it. And then when my flare-up started, they took me off because it's like, we don't know what's going on. We don't know why this metoprolol was helping. We don't know why it seems to have stopped working. So we're just going to you know, wipe the slate clean, go back to diagnostics. Never found anything. Uh, but then five, five, five and a half years later, I end up back on metoprolol because my heart rate issues have been getting worse, mm-hmm. where like my, my, my resting heart rate has also been you know, sometimes above 100 just lying down. And metoprolol is something that slows your heart rate. It's a it's in general, it's a blood pressure medication because, uh, you know, if you slow your heart rate down, that can lower the blood pressure. So we're, we're thinking that I might have POTS because I've done the at home tilt table test and seen huge spikes in my blood pressure and not my blood pressure, but in my heart rate from going from lying down to standing. So my doctor's like, let's try putting you back on metoprolol. Um, so that I was starting to feel better already. And then add in the, uh, accidental starting to take ibuprofen and it like doubled how, how much better I was feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like going outside, trying out some, some light bike riding, you know, I'm getting more done during the day. Uh, and it's just all really exciting. Then we go to Maine and I'm expecting to be, you know, in bed in hotel most of the time. Cause that's what traveling usually looks like for me. And I'm out and about hanging out with the family, doing, doing all this stuff. I mean, we went on some wild adventures in Maine, uh, I had a I had a fantastic time in Maine. I loved it. We started out in Portland. We're traveling, you know, the two of us, your parents and your sister and her partner. Um, and Portland, Maine is just like a charming town. It's so cool. It's like uh, all these amazing brick buildings. Um, it's a little difficult to navigate in a wheelchair. I'm still doing, mo- you know, the beginning of the trip, I still was doing most of my movement in the wheelchair because I needed it. And by the end of the trip, I was like, wow, I'm walking more and more. Uh, but at the beginning of the trip, you know, we're in Portland, Maine, and uh, all the streets are like brick or cobblestone. And yeah, trying right. to navigate that in a wheelchair is tough. Like, that was my first real experience in an older city where it's not like paved like, a, you know, like Seattle is. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, that was really hard to navigate. You know, a lot of streets that I needed help getting over obstacles where there's like holes in the street and stuff like that. I, I love these old streets. They're beautiful. And like walking around there is amazing, but wheeling through it is not ideal. I saw one other person in a wheelchair, like the whole time we were there, you know? And that's something I think about like in Seattle, I see people in wheelchairs all the time when I'm wheeling around over here. But, uh, but yeah, it was really interesting, you know, the difference of trying to navigate that city in a wheelchair, but the yeah. food was incredible. 
um, you know, we went on this uh, cruise, not a cruise, but like a, a, a ferry to Peaks Island uh, in, what's that bay called? Casco Bay, something like that. Um, but yeah, we went, sure. to, we went to Peaks <laughs> Island and we took this amazing tour in a golf cart where this woman who lived, who's, you know, born, born and raised on Peaks Island, like took us around the island for, you know, two hours and told us everything about it that she could think of. Uh, the thing that stuck out the most to me was the, uh, <laughs> the umbrella cover museum. Yeah. <laughs> um, where this woman, she's like the only woman doing this, where she's collecting the cover for umbrellas, you know, the thing that people usually throw away. And she has the Guinness world record for having the largest collection of umbrella covers. <laughs> and she's just like this incredibly kooky person who's yeah. like, you know, playing, like singing and playing her accordion and wearing a, a you know, umbrella hat and <laughs> just like a complete character. Like, you know, it was so, so cool and so fun. Yeah. Um, um, but also just seeing the history of the area. You know, I haven't spent that much time on the East Coast, but uh yeah. we we also did like the ride the ducks tour um and <laughs> yeah. just learning about uh the history and how much remains from the civil war or from the revolutionary war you know yeah. like this like fort that was built for for world war 1 um and like some of this artillery that is that was positioned there for world war 1 and the, you know these uh i don't even know what the word is but uh uh, bunker, the bunker that was still there on on Peaks Island is just absolutely fascinating. You know, seeing some of our country's history in person, um, in a way that you don't really experience here on the West Coast. So, just like utterly charming town, totally loved it. Um, we drove the food. To the food. Yeah, the food was incredible. The lobster roll. Yeah. At, um, eventide. Yes. Yeah. So everyone's Good. talking about lobster rolls in Maine. And they had it gluten-free. Yeah. <laughs> so the first lobster deal. roll that we had was at this place called Eventide. And they make their own buns. They have regular and gluten-free. And they are, they're like cake. Like these buns yeah. are like cake. And then they're the so lobster is just completely covered in butter. And it's just like buttery lobster cake. And it was just mind-blowingly <laughs> delicious. That was our first lobster roll. Yeah. And nothing else that we had in Maine even came close. You know, a oh. traditional lobster roll is just like, you know, it's like a hot, hot dog bun with some lobster in it. Um, yeah. and that's kind of what we had other places. But this first one just was just like otherworldly. Um, yeah, so we, we traveled from Maine to, or from Portland, Maine to Waterford, Maine. And we stayed a couple nights in this. No, in um, Rockland. Rockland. Thank you. Rockland, Maine. Yeah. The wedding was in Waterford. So we, yeah. we went to Rockland for a couple nights first. Mm -hmm. uh, we went to this uh, botanical garden where they had these incredible wood statues of trolls. Um, <laughs> and that was also really interesting because I was really needing the wheelchair that day. And a lot of it was unpaved. And I, yeah. you know, it says like it's wheelchair accessible on the map, but there wasn't a specific map about which ways to go. So we end up on a lot of like unpaved areas where I'm just like really struggling and getting all muddy and like, you know, that's so stressful trying to navigate in a wheelchair because like you, yeah. if you, if you get stuck, like I, if I'm on a day where I can't walk and I get stuck, I'm stuck. You know, like, what am I supposed to do? And it's just so interesting for me because I am an ambulatory user. So, you know, I'm a part-time wheelchair user. I can walk. And on yeah. a good day, I will use a cane or even a really good day, 
I, I've had some really good days on this trip where I was able to walk without a cane, which mm -hmm. has been, you know, the first time I've been able to do that comfortably in years. Um, so, but on a bad day, you know, it's like, I can't do that. And like on a bad day, like my legs just won't work. And I, I'm either using the wheelchair or someone's got to carry me or something. Mm -hmm. Um, so I go back and forth between these two planes of existence, walking and rolling, and they're so different. And yeah. the rolling one is just, you know, oftentimes the world is not very well prepared for you to show up. And you, it's just such a such a othering feeling to, mm -hmm. to be in a place where, you know, it's just not set up for you to exist, you know? And I, and I, get, I get to see both worlds and exist in both worlds still. And yeah. I can just see like all these places where these holes exist that need to be filled for the, you know, the wheelchair community. It's definitely, it's so limiting. It's so, yeah. it, the world has, is so not um, welcoming of people with different abilities. Yeah. And some places are. And, you know, for me, it's so interesting because it's like when I hit some of those roadblocks, I can just stand up and step over them. Right. And a lot of people can't do that. And every time, yeah. every time that I stand up and walk over one of these roadblocks, I think about the people who can't and it yeah. makes me mad, you know, because that's, yeah. I, I just know the feeling of like needing extra help, um, needing a tool to be mobile, um, needing something to exist and, yeah. um, and and just how how much of a um, process it is to go through the mental gymnastics to learn to live with that and to be okay yeah. with that. And, you know, I'm only like, I'm in my second year in a wheelchair now. So mm -hmm. um, I'm still relatively at the beginning of this journey, but yeah. I also am seeing all the time these ways in which I am lucky that I can do things that if I weren't ambulatory, I wouldn't be able to do. But anyway, um, so yeah, so we spend a couple of days in Rockland and then we head to Waterford. But, sorry, but special mention to the hotel we stayed in in Rockland. Oh my God, it was awesome. It was so cool. It was called, oh shoot, I can't remember. It was like a number or something. It was, yeah, it was like the street it was on or something. Anyway, um, yeah. it was a really cute little boutique hotel and they had like local artists, different um, art on every single floor of the hotel and like games and water and sparkling water on tap with these big jugs that you could take up to your room yeah. and coffee and tea 24 seven. And it, it was, was just awesome. so special. It was a really great spot. It was like brand new, super modern, but yeah. beautiful architecture. Yeah. Definitely in the top of hotels I've ever stayed at. For I sure. So Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and it, you know, we also had so much fun with your family. Like, yeah. At, at the end of one of the days, we were looking to watch something together. And oh my God. your dad was asking about the new Star Trek, Strange New Worlds. And was like, you want to watch Star Trek as a family? Because, yeah, because, yeah, I'll do that. Um, so then your whole family, we all watched Star Trek together like several nights in a row. And everyone's asking me questions about Star Trek. And I'm just so happy. <laughs> it's like, yes, I will answer these questions. But we'll save that for the bonus episode because we still have to record a bonus episode for, for the month of July. And we're going to yeah. talk a lot about what we've been watching, including Star Trek, Obi-Wan Kenobi, that kind of stuff. Um, okay, so we get to Rockland. Nope, Waterford, where the wedding is going to happen. And we get there a few days early because you're part of the wedding party. And the... The location is one of the most magical places I've ever been in my life. It's this yeah. like... Bear Mountain Inn. Bear Mountain Inn. It's like this 100-year-old 
barn that has been converted into a you know a a wedding location and the like the house the old house has been completely upgraded and updated and that's where like the wedding uh the some of the people in the wedding party were staying it had this like separate little house private little you know cottage where the bride and groom were staying coach house yeah yeah and then there was the um the house that we stayed in um what was that called uh post and beam yes um which was just this like incredibly gorgeous you know wood like all wood throughout amazing place to stay with like five bedrooms inside of it so the whole wedding party was there um but we got it to ourselves the first night and there you know there was a a huge pond and they had a bunch of kayaks so we got to go kayaking and you know it was just like the the type of place where it's like you go and you stay and you wish that you lived there because it's just so <laughs> magical um yeah, it was, i went for a little jog in there like um hiking trails all through the back of the property and yeah, yeah it's just really magical they had a hot tub they had amazing food and and then you know it was my best friend from middle school so um so it was just so cool and so emotional and she she was so it, the wedding itself was oh, just, just magic gorgeous and colorful and so them and um i had this speech that i was giving that I was so nervous about um, that basically they're both playwrights and um, they also have their like love language is sort of texting. Like they just have this quirky way of texting each other. So I had them send me screenshots of their text conversations and then I made a play out of it. <laughs> and I had two other people from the wedding party read as Jillian and Andrew, the couple. And anyway, it, but it's one of those things you just don't know how it's going to work until you really do it. So, but it worked and it was so fun. And, um, Andy was yeah. like so stressed about her Ugh. her speech. She was just convinced it was going to be terrible. Andy's been in a bit of a, a dark headspace. She's like yeah. so stressed. She was so stressed about even being able to speak to give the speech yeah. because she was so worried yeah. about her voice. Yeah. And she like wrote out this um, script and like you put the text messages in, and then we were helping her to rehearse it. And I'm like, yeah. Andy, this is great. Like this is going to be great. And she just wasn't believing it. But then when it actually happened, like the there was like uproarious laughter, you know, like people were like falling out of their seats laughing. It was so funny. Like people were coming up to you the whole rest of the night telling you how awesome it was. Uh, it was it was fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I guess another good example of where my head was, you know, I, I'm to be honest, I'm a little sad. I feel like I wasn't able to be fully present and yeah really take in my friend who I've known since I was 11 years old getting married and like, and part of that was definitely a vocal stuff, but part of it was COVID too, you know, um, like the spike was happening. There were some people involved in the wedding that had just recovered, like just barely recovered. Like we didn't even know if they were going to be able to be part of the wedding and some things were happening and, you know, and the dancing was in the barn and the doors were open, but, Jesse and I were still masking and that felt kind of weird. And, you know, it was, yeah. there was just things, my brain was so overwhelmed with anxiety and, um, and joy and celebration. And I had an amazing time, but it was complicated. It was layered, you know? Yeah. yeah there was it wasn't as carefree as I maybe wish it had been. There was a member of the wedding party who tested positive for COVID, uh, like three days before the wedding 
And then we all thought that they were going to self-isolate, but then they still came and stayed in the house. And there was a lot of panic happening around that of like potentially, yeah, person involved in the way, potentially exposing the bride and groom and, uh, you know, but it all, but they recovered very quickly and tested negative and were able to join in and, you know, and it worked out really, really well, but it it just felt like COVID was just circling us the whole time. Yeah, it was just covering but yeah, the, yeah, the wedding party was awesome. Like all the people involved were super oh gosh, cool. Yeah, we all got to yeah. hang out a bunch and, yeah, you know, yeah. And I didn't, you know, when we got to the Bear Mountain Inn, I left my wheelchair in the car and I yeah, never took yeah. it out of the car. Yeah. We were there for like three days and I just yeah. used the cane the whole time. I had a couple of rough moments, like mm-hmm. after kayaking, we had to walk down this hill to kayak and I could barely, Beautiful. barely make it back up the hill. And then I was just dead the rest of the day. But the next day I was okay, you know? Yeah, um, yeah your cover, rebound was faster. Yeah. And we danced. We, we danced, danced a little bit. Like two whole songs. Yeah. And that's the first time I've really danced in years. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't remember how to do this. No, you're a great dancer. <laughs> I was like, how do how does one move their body in a rhythmic fashion? Um, <laughs> but then like my cane was always close by and I was like... It was a little terrifying of, like, I might fall down. But, you know, you and I had such different experiences because, like, for me, it's like, okay, we're at this wedding. We're not going to leave because of the Mm -hmm. COVID people. Um, We're going to – let's just mask and then forget about it. You know, let's just be as careful as we can. But but enjoy it because we're here and it's magic and I love it and I love being here. Mm -hmm. I'm not even, like, that much of a wedding person, you know, like – some people just love weddings and I'm like, oh yeah, okay. It depends on the wedding. This was such a cool wedding, you know, just yeah. so well put together, amazing people, so fun. Just like a great, great night. They had a Star Wars pinball table. I mean, come <laughs> on. It was amazing. Yeah, um, it was. It was incredible. Yeah. It was absolutely incredible. I mean, the wedding itself was so wonderful. I wish I had been a better in a better headspace. Um Yeah, it's interesting. But- it's like you know, I've learned a lot about compartmentalization from chronic illness. Of, yeah, you know, I bet you have. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't feel well, but I still need to find ways to feel joy. So I've learned yeah. I've learned how to disconnect those two things, and yeah. it's really been helpful for me. You know, like I, I like this has been a very hard time. You know, so th- we get home from that trip. I had an appointment with my doctor, and we talked about how I'd been feeling so much better. So she's like, "Okay, you can't stay on." on Advil, on ibuprofen indefinitely. That is dangerous for your stomach lining. Um, We need to get you on something else. But it's very exciting that this seems to be helping. Um, And then I'd also been taking allergy medication because I don't have, you know, allergy symptoms like, you know, itchy, runny sort of things. But my IgE allergy levels had tested off the chart. So we're like, okay, what does that mean? Do I have some weird form of like histamine intolerance or mast cell activation syndrome or something like that? And then while we were on the trip, I had been doing so much better and we were away from all of my normal foods, you know? So it's like, is it something I'm eating? Is it something in the environment? It's just so hard to tell. Um, So she switched me to, she wanted to switch me to Paroxicam, which is a once daily anti-inflammatory that people with, you know, so like forms of arthritis or other things like that take, it's safer to take long-term. There is no like, you know, safe long-term NSAID, you know, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, but these are safer than uh, ibuprofen. So, but I couldn't get it through insurance. So I, instead I got meloxicam. So I go Mm -hmm. off of Advil and onto meloxicam. And the first few days of that, I 
like the very first day I felt like I was like detoxing from, you know, heroin or something. Like I, I was like sweating and shaking and I felt so incredibly sick. Um, and I'm like, is it the meloxicam causing this or is it going off of the Advil causing this? Cause that's the only thing I switched. Um, and I, and all of the progress I had made was just gone in an instant, you know, it was absolutely bizarre. I was just like completely incapacitated, unable to function. And it took about a week uh, until the meloxicam started to work for me. And then mm-hmm. I started to feel like, oh, wow, okay, I'm starting to feel some of the benefit again. And I'd say it took like almost two to three weeks to really feel like I was feeling the same amount of benefit that I felt from the Advil. And I keep learning this over and over. It's like, you can't just try a medication and say you hate it and throw it away. That's my, yeah. what I used to do. Sometimes yeah. you really do have to give it weeks before you can yeah. tell if something is working. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, we did that. I go on the... Uh, um, I'm st- I, I start allergy medication. I am on a bunch of supplements, some of them anti-inflammatory and some of them for uh, allergies as well. And mm-hmm. my doctor asked me to try a low histamine diet. So I started that right before we left for Tahoe. Um, and that's tough, you know, like not, there, there's histamine in so many things. And my diet is very high in histamine. So general things you want to avoid are, are fermented foods, and I have, you know, sauerkraut or kimchi every morning with breakfast. Mm-hmm. You want to avoid all forms of like aged products, coffee, tea, wine, alcohol. Um, and I have green tea every day. That's like my my comfort place is green tea. And to pull that out was really, that's the hardest thing for me to take out still is not having green tea. That's been extremely difficult for me. Um, and then there's a couple specific things that are high in histamine, like uh, spinach and avocado uh, and a lot of like shellfish, but in general, you just want to eat like fresh, fresh fruits and vegetables and very fresh meat. You can't have any, you know, aged meats or, um, processed meats of any kind. So, uh, a lot of that lines up with my diet like fresh fruits and vegetables is a bulk of my diet, but the specific things that had to be taken out were very difficult, but I have been doing that for a couple of weeks. Um, so we go to Tahoe and we were originally supposed to leave for Tahoe uh on wednesday um but then we got a call um (laughs) andy gets a call wednesday morning she comes in to wake me up right before we're about to go like get into a lift to go to the airport and two of the people in uh the party that we're meeting in tahoe have tested positive for covid uh well actually it started with just one and then it became two (laughs) yeah yeah um so and then uh one person's positive and Several people have been ex- potentially exposed, including the person that we are going to share a unit with. Um, right. You know, your family has these amazing timeshare units in Tahoe. That's why we go every year. Uh, mm-hmm. So we decide to wait for a couple of days because then yeah. we can have a unit to ourselves and not have yeah. to take the the chance of potentially sharing a unit with someone who's COVID positive. Um, and in that time, a second person tests positive. So we're feeling good about this decision. We had three days in Seattle where we had no idea what to do with ourselves. <laughs> but it worked out really well because I was adjusting to the meloxicam at that, at that point. Oh, and my doctor also put me on Lyrica, which is another thing that I've taken before and, and hated and stopped. Um, and this time I, I didn't hate it at all. Like this time I didn't feel much of anything. And I'm already up to three pills a day. Whereas the first time I tried it, I tried it like once or for like three days. I tried one pill a day. It's like, I feel awful. So I went off of it. But um, Lyrica mm-hmm. is something that a lot of people 
take for nerve pain or take with fibromyalgia. Uh, I've been on it for a couple of weeks now, and mm-hmm. I don't know that I have felt a difference in my sort of tingly pain all over. Um, but the full body, like full body nausea pain that I've been having for years has been way better. And the functionality has been better. And I feel like that's because of the anti-inflammatories, but, um, but I'm still not sure. Anyway, so we wait for three days. I, I get a little more adjusted to the Meloxicam. We fly out to Tahoe. Uh, you know, no one's wearing masks on the planes, which is very stressful. Um, yeah. Uh, so we, but we get there and we fly in through Reno. We drive into Tahoe. It's at pretty high elevation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first like 24, 36 hours for me is like just adjusting to the elevation. Um, so we don't do much those first couple days and we're isolating from the rest of the group, just, you know, wearing, like being together outside, but not hanging, hanging out inside and being very careful. Um, yeah, except for a portion of the group that had not been exposed and had also tested negative. Right. We were spending time with them inside. I guess that's true. You're right. You're right. We yeah, were spending yeah. time inside with, with some people. Um, and then, uh, we, we didn't get to do much of the Tahoe activities because, you know, the first couple of days was just adjustment time for me. We tried to go kayaking, but they were out of kayaks, yeah. <laughs> uh, on the second day, third day, we did go river rafting, which last year was my favorite activity we did, but this year, Andy was just feeling, oh. feeling it. Like Andy, Andy absolutely yeah. had COVID at that point. That well, okay, listen, I did have COVID, but I will say this. So that was the first day, that was a Monday. And that was the first day that I felt any sort of symptom. I woke up with a sore throat and I took a test immediately. And I was like, okay, took a test. It was negative. So I said, okay, I'm, I'm, but I'm still feeling kind of off and the sore throat and, but the allergies there, the pollen there is insane. Like it's caked onto everything. And I have terrible seasonal allergies. The air is really dry and thin, you know, it's like, so I was like, okay, well, I'm still going to, I'm not going to go inside with anyone. I'm going to wear a mask all the time, except for when I'm eating, but I want to do this. You know, I want to participate in the trip and, and my test is negative. So, um, so we go on the river raft and in this river, it's the Trekkie river and it takes about two to two and a half hours to float down. And about 20 minutes into the float, I just feel like death. Like I just feel <laughs> exhausted and my brain fog starts setting in and my body starts hurting and I we're outside, but I'm wearing a mask. Cause I'm like, this is not good. And, um, and it's a tricky river to navigate. The water was really low this year. So there's lots of rocks and little rapids and bridges and, you know, and so it's just, it was a challenging ride. And um, I kept, you know, being like, is it over? Is it over? Like, are we at the end of the river? Because it's, it's not really a scenario where you get to be like, uh, hey, I'd like to get off, you know? <laughs> um so yeah, so so that's so we we do we make it through the river, um, but that night, which is Monday night, uh, Jesse and I get into bed together, <laughs> maskless, maskless because I had tested negative and I was still feeling yucky. But again, I thought it was maybe the altitude or the allergies. But once partway through the night, like the chills and the fevery feelings start kicking in, and I'm like. You got to get out of this bed, Jesse. Yeah. I need it to myself to sleep and, you know, we should separate. Yeah. So luckily we're in a unit with two bedrooms. 
Yeah. Uh, and there was no one in the second bedroom at that point. That person had left and it had been cleaned. And so I hop in the second bedroom and then wake up in the morning and, um, you know, get a call from Andy. And she's like, I have COVID tested positive. Actually, no, what happened was I, I woke up and I was like, I, I can't hardly move. I am sure I have COVID, yeah. but I didn't want to test till you were awake because I <laughs> really needed the emotional support. Like I just couldn't look at that positive COVID test by myself. Like after everything I had, I was just so worn down and I just needed to lean on you in that moment. And I knew I was like, I know I'm going to test positive. And I just need to wait till he wakes up and we'll mask. But I need him sitting, you know, six feet away with a mask on with all the windows down. But I, I need I need to know there's someone in the room who loves me and will help me figure out how to feel about this. Because then the worry of exposing the people I'd been inside with and my family and all of it, it just like came rushing in. And I had literally just talked to the person, one of the people in the party who had tested positive before about how they shouldn't feel guilty and nobody did anything wrong. And, you know, and then of course, the minute it happened to me, I experienced this really big feeling of shame and guilt. Like I had done something wrong, even though I have been so careful I have not eaten inside at a restaurant. I have not, you know, there's so many things that I haven't done. The only thing I can think is that I got it at the airport and I was masked, but of course not very many people were. And it's so funny too, because I thought to myself, well, if we had flown out when we originally planned to fly out, maybe I wouldn't have gotten COVID. And the whole reason we moved the time we flew out was because we wanted to avoid getting COVID. Yeah. So anyway, you know, just those, those complicating feelings when you see that red line and you've spent two and a half years of your life trying to avoid this thing and building your whole world around being cautious and safe. And then it happens and it's a really emotional thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like we've always kind of talked about it. It's like, if one of us gets COVID, the other one's going to get COVID too. You know, we've always kind of like, that's why we went to bed together that night. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but when you started like being sick enough to want a bed to yourself, like that's the main reason I left. Yeah. Um, but at that point, like once you test positive and I haven't, it doesn't make sense to, to, you know, intermingle. We were no, in, like, we're in a unit where we have two bedrooms. So we yeah. isolated from each other. And then I yeah. also knew that I had been absolutely exposed. So I wanted to isolate from the rest of the group. You know, there's no law or restriction anymore around what you can do. Like, obviously, there's so many people walking through the airport, maskless, coughing with COVID. And that's very yeah. likely how Andy got it. But yeah. we still, you know, I still feel a lot of social responsibility around, you know, trying to keep others around me safe. Okay. Um, and, you know, we're at this point now where, so many people are vaxxed and boosted that the risk of having uh, the risk of death is a lot lower than it used to be. Um, but there's still the risk of long COVID and there's still the risk of complication. So it's like, if you can avoid a thing, why not? And if you can avoid passing a thing on to other people, why not? So yeah. I, I isolated in my room just to wait until I got COVID, <laughs> but yeah. I didn't, you know, again, no. knocking on wood. I, I've been doing a lot of knocking this week. Um, <laughs> So I isolated in my room and Andy isolated in hers and we did a lot of video chatting, um, just like hanging out together on video chat. And that first day, Andy was just, 
Andy just like fell apart that day, like yeah. physically, like she was in rough shape, like really, really bad. Yeah. Um, like she couldn't sit up, she couldn't speak, she couldn't think. Um, yeah, I've never seen you that way before. It was wild. It's like, that's how I feel a lot of the time. Like uh, seeing no, you like try to sit up and speak and not be able to, I was like, I know exactly what that feels like, but you look <laughs> yeah. like me right now. This is so weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Jesse was healthy and like, he's like, well, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go for a roll. I'm going to be wearing my mask and be careful. I'll stay away from people. But like you had all this energy that you wanted to use and you know, it's like, yeah, the roles really felt like they reversed. Um, and our plan, you know, our plan was like, well, okay, you know, I've, I got the Paxlovid. We were supposed to fly out on, so I tested positive on a Tuesday morning. We were supposed to fly out with my family on Saturday. And so my plan was to test on Friday, see if I was negative. And if I wasn't, we had to make a plan because again, we didn't want to expose people at the airport or on the plane or my family in the car. So we were like, we gotta make a plan to extend our trip somehow, but the timeshare, you know, our time was up there. So we couldn't really just stay where we were. Yeah. Well, yeah. before we before we get to that, I have to say, I had one really bizarre experience while we were doing our self-isolation. Um, and this was like, what, five days? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I guess four, because, yeah. um, we had to leave on Friday. Yeah. But one of those days, uh, so I'm on the low histamine diet, but uh, there's a coffee machine in the room and I've been off coffee for years. I switched to tea and I was like, oh, I can't have any green tea, but you know, I could have some decaf coffee. And this is so weird because like coffee is also on the histamine diet. I'm not supposed to have that, but it just like escaped my mind for, for like this whole morning where I like went to the... I, I, you know, I'm still wearing a mask because I'm not sure if I'm going to come down with COVID yet, but I went to the office and got a decaf bag of coffee and brought it back and like brewed this whole thing of decaf and sat on the porch in the sun and started drinking some coffee. I'm like, that's all I wanted to do that day was just sit on the porch and drink some coffee. <laughs> and as I'm sitting there uh, and drinking coffee, I felt this like really bizarre sensation on the back of my neck. Um, and I reached back and I have swollen, um, painful lumps on either side of the back of my neck. Uh, and then later that day, the sides of my neck swelled up like really large and also had like painful swollen lumps. I've never experienced anything like this in my life before. And, and I, I'm like, okay, do I have COVID? <laughs> Is this the first sign of COVID? Um, I ended up looking up, you know, swollen lumps on the back of your neck and I found, um, lymph nodes, swollen lymph nodes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, where are the lymph, lymph nodes in your neck? And th there are lymph nodes exactly where I swelled up on the sides of my neck. And mm -hmm. so I'm fairly sure that I had four lymph nodes swell up while I was drinking that coffee. So I'm like, okay, lymph nodes can be a sign of infection, or it can also be, they can also swell up in like mast cell activation syndrome or from like some sort of histamine reaction. So I'm like, did I drink enough histamine in that decaf coffee to give myself a reaction or do I have COVID and my body's trying to fight it off? And I, I've, you know, it's been uh, at least four or five days since that point. And I've tested negative every day. Um, the swelling has gone down on the back of my neck. Uh, and I still have one swollen side of my neck and I can still feel that bump in there, but it's gotten smaller. So mm -hmm. something, something's happening in my body. Like, yeah. but I, but I'm, but I've been feeling better. 
You know, it's it's so weird. So it's like, it, is my histamine level down because of the histamine diet? And then I made a mistake with the coffee and that caused a reaction larger than what would have normally happened to me from ingesting histamine because I had been finally clearing it out. Maybe. I don't know. I got to talk to the doctor about this, but it was super weird. Something overall that is a little tricky about this time on your end is that you are introducing and trying so many things at once. Yeah. And something's working and helping, but trying to assign when you feel worse, when you feel better to which things it's been really hard. Yeah, it's been so tricky. Like I'll, I'll get up in the morning, I'll have breakfast, I'll feel great. And then I'll have lunch and then I will crash for the rest of the day. And it's like tracing through everything I ate, not being sure if it was because I ate something. And then like those days in our isolation where I went for a walk to try to test my legs out because my legs were feeling a little better. And then I got really sick. Like that day where with the decaf coffee, I also went for a walk that day. So I've been feeling yeah. for a long is time. It like, is it the walk? Is yeah. it COVID? <laughs> I've been feeling sometimes like walking is makes me feel like I'm poisoned after. Um, or just using my legs in general. If I use them too much, it makes me feel like I'm poisoned after. It's bizarre. But, um, but they've been working a little bit better. So I want to test them out. I want to use them because I haven't been able to in so long. Um, and you know, just still having no idea what is happening or why it's happening is bizarre, but it's like, you know, my doctor actually said the last appointment, she said, I'm thrilled that you're having some progress and that's what I want to see. I don't know. She's like, I really thought that I was going to be able to diagnose you at first. You know, we did all those tests and I was just so gung ho, like, let's figure this out. But I, at this point, I don't know if I'm going to be able to diagnose you, but I at least want to help you have a better quality of life. And we're on the right track for that. So, yeah. you know, and I really appreciate that. I appreciate that honesty. Um, I I just like spent years with that naturopath, naturopath who was telling me constantly that he knew exactly what was going on and he was going to fix it, even though he had no idea and it, he didn't fix it. And I just got worse and worse. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this doctor is like, we're going to get you diagnosed. And I'm like thrilled. And then, you know, uh, a couple months down the road with her, it's like, okay, well, I have to admit, I don't know if we're going to get it diagnosed, but we're going to at least keep trying to help you feel better. That's, that's better than what I've gotten from 99% of other doctors. And yeah. I still have a lot of hope that in finding medication that's helping that we might find a diagnosis accidentally. Um, you know, like kind of backdoor our way into a diagnosis by finding the medication for it first. Um, But yeah, I still, we're really looking into this histamine stuff now. And I I don't know if the histamine diet is helping. You know, it's like, I'm trying all these things. She said, let's just throw everything at you at once. Let's do all of it, get you feeling better, and then start peeling things back and see what, what of these things is helping. You know, is it, is it the Lyrica? Is it the histamine diet? Is it the Meloxicam? Uh Um, Yeah, we don't know it's something in there. So, but, yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, so yeah, we were playing this like guessing game of whether or not we were going to be able to fly out on Saturday. And, yeah. you know, there are no regulations about having COVID and getting on a plane right now, but you know, we're flying with your family and we wanted to keep them safe. So, you know, we had talked about like, if you test lightly positive on Friday, then it feels like pretty reasonable that you're not going to be contagious by Saturday. Um, but then on Friday, the line was darker than we would have hoped. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So then we're like, okay, well then we don't really feel comfortable getting on a plane with your family, uh, even masks or anyone or anyone. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's the thing for me. It's like, I feel like you should treat the whole world like they're your family and try to protect yeah. them from COVID. Yeah. I mean, if, and we also are privileged enough to say that we have the resources to figure out a plan. You know, I understand that there are some people who wouldn't be able to afford to change their plans. I mean, you yeah. know, I mean, that's tricky, but that's the reality, you know, but we did. And if you have that option, why not? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So on Friday, we're like, okay, Andy's positive test is still too positive to fly out on Saturday. So let we need to figure out somewhere else where we can stay because mm-hmm. we couldn't stay in that room any longer. Um, they had to turn it on Saturday. And, mm-hmm. you know, we decided that it made more sense, you know, because the rest of your family is flying out on Saturday. Let's try to get us taken care of on Friday and find another place to stay and just get this all, you know, done with on Friday night. So um, we did some research about the hotels in Reno, trying to find a place to stay. And we needed some place that had room service. So, you know, you could order food. Um, some place that had a shuttle to the airport, that had rooms available, and that had a reasonable rate. And the place that had all of those was the Atlantis Hotel and Casino. And we don't know what this <laughs> is. We're just like, you know, looking for all the things we need. And, and that's the place that had everything we needed. So that's mm-hmm. where we ended up booking a room. Um, and then we took one of the rental cars with us. Uh, <laughs> um, and drove from Tahoe to Reno on Friday afternoon, evening. And we get to the Atlantis Hotel and Casino. It's the largest hotel in all of Reno. It's like, it's like when you think of Reno, that's the place. You know, it mm-hmm. is the giant casino and hotel. It's a resort, yeah. It's a yeah. resort, absolutely. Like a full-on resort. And we did not realize that's where we were going. And we were just like slack-jawed when we got there because it was awesome. Like, I, I love a cheesy resort. I love that. You know, like, I love Vegas. I love nature and all that, but I also love fake nature. You know, I love, like, you go to a pool and they have fake rocks all around you. Um, <laughs> like, I, I love that type of thing. So, we got there and we're like, oh, wow, this is... Not what we expected, uh, mm-hmm. but we loved it. We went up the elevators, which are like open to the out, so you can see like through the glass to the outside, and it's just like kind of a, it's almost scary, <laughs> just like traveling up in the air in this you know Wonkovator type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to our rooms, and they're like glorious. We got two separate rooms so that we could isolate from each other, and we're still kind of expecting me to test positive. So the big worry at that point was. Like, what if you start testing negative and I start testing positive? And then it's like a whole nother week before we can fly home if we're trying to keep other people safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was a day where I was feeling abnormally well, you know, mm-hmm. really well for my for me. And Yeah, we, I was not because no. we were, I mean, we had to push to, because we were getting out of that other room and I, again, wanting to keep people safe was like stripping the beds and putting the sheets into these like, plastic bags and taking the garbage out ourselves and repacking everything and trying to make sure that whatever was a high touch surface was, you know, like I, and then I drove us down the mountain yeah. to with the windows down and it was so loud and it was this windy mountain road. And that for me still recovering from COVID, like that was a lot of energy. So I, yeah. by the time we got into the room, as thrilled as I was about the Atlantis resort and casino, I was, pooped i was zonked <laughs> yeah and, and jesse I had was like <laughs> yeah i was like stoked to be there so um we needed to get the rental car taken care of and get it back mm-hmm. to the um you know mm-hmm. to return it 
Yeah. And if we couldn't do it that night, your parents were going to have to do it the next day. And they were going to have to like come early to do that on their way to the airport. Yeah. And we didn't want to have to make them do that. But I don't normally drive because I'm normally too dizzy and I'm twitchy and like, you yeah. know, don't have necessarily good control over my limbs. So like driving isn't safe for me, but very rarely, I mean, there's been one day in the last couple of years that I remember where I drove because I felt good enough. Um, but I had that another day where I felt like I could drive on that day where we had to get the car back. You know, he I, like walked without a cane. Yeah. To I walked without shuttle. a cane to, to the car, yep. drove the car, returned it, walked to the shuttle, took yeah. the shuttle back and then walked back to the room. And I just felt like I had normal walking, you know, like I, I haven't felt this in years where it's like, I can just walk like a, like I used to be able to. Um, I felt like good on my feet and it was just mind blowing. It was incredible. I just like out, out in the sun, taking the shuttle. I just like nothing in the world could have been better. It was just amazing, you know? And like the next day, not so much, but I had that moment where it was amazing, you know? And, and I feel like, I feel like I'm peeking out through the clouds and seeing the sunshine as far as this flare up is concerned that I've been in for five and a half years. Mm-hmm. It's like, maybe I can get out of this flare up, you know, like maybe yeah. I can get back to a place where I am more functional than not. And it feels like I'm heading in that direction. And it's, it's so exciting. It's still yeah. like, so uh, upsettingly unpredictable, you know, like the day that we, so we spent three days in this resort and I had a blast, you know, mm-hmm. like this, this was, you know, I, I, I had a lot of fun throughout all of our trips, (laughs) there was some really hard moments and you having COVID was awful and, you know, isolating together and taking care of you, you know, I'm always so happy to take care of you and so happy that it's my turn to take care of you because it's usually the other way around. And, but like, that's not necessarily like having fun on vacation. For sure. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Tahoe was kind of a bust as far as that was concerned, Mm -hmm. but Maine, I loved. And then to end up at this insane resort at the end, I thought was hilarious. And I just, Mm -hmm. you know, I had a lot of fun. Um, I did have a couple of rough days while we were there. And every time I had a rough day, I was like, is it COVID? Am I about to get, are we going to get stuck here? Um, And the the day that we flew out, I had a really, really bad morning. I felt Mm -hmm. so awful. I I could barely walk. Uh, I had no idea what was going on. And then it was so funny, like at four in the, af- or like three or four in the afternoon as I was cleaning up my room to leave, which was excruciatingly painful because I was having such a bad pain day. I found my metoprolol on the table where I had gathered all of my medication to take that morning and I had not taken it. It somehow <laughs> missed, missed the handful because I'm taking like 10 pills every morning right now with all the supplements and everything. So missing my heart medication made me feel so much worse. But it's so weird because if I miss the anti-inflammatory, I feel similarly bad. Or if I, it seems like I'm having random reactions where I eat something and I feel randomly bad in a similar way, but it's all like working together. You know, it's not one thing. It's like all these things working together. Mm -hmm. Um, But we managed to, you know, get to the airport and that was a day where I had to use the wheelchair. Um, And I was so glad I had it because I hadn't been using it for the last few days. Mm -hmm. And then on the day where I really needed it, it's like, yeah, I really need it. Um, and this was my first time flying with my personal chair. You know, I had, I had that hospital chair when I first uh, got a wheelchair, and that's what we took to Tahoe last year. So flying with my own personal chair was very nerve-wracking for me at first because I've heard all these horror stories about people's chairs being destroyed by airlines. Um, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> but it it went fine. You know, we discovered that the, we just needed to take a few pieces off of the chair because the first flight, they took a few pieces off and left them on the seat. And I'm like, wow, we very nearly lost these pieces of this chair. Yeah. So yeah. anything that wasn't like, you know, some wheelchairs have pieces that just pop out. Um, so yeah. all those we just took off and brought in the overhead compartment with us. Mm-hmm. But besides that, it was fine. So... Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's got a few more scratches than it used to have, but that's okay. <laughs> that's um, a sign of use. Yeah. And, you know, it's also tricky. Like, sometimes airlines aren't really thinking about when they unload or load the chair from the gate check. And so there have been times where we've exited the plane and we've had to stand on the jetway waiting for the chair until literally the next crew is arriving to board the plane yeah. for the next flight. So, you know, and with Jesse, it, it worked out okay, but for someone who c- couldn't stand that long, or, I mean, you know, yeah. there's just, again, it's just another moment where you're thinking people aren't really considering, like if you see a wheelchair in the luggage compartment as someone who's unpacking and loading bags, it should be first priority to make sure that that gets back up to the gate check, you know? Yeah. Most of the other times it was. And like the time we, the last flight flying home, it was, it was ready as soon as the airplane doors opened. Yeah. Yeah. I think it went to airplane and the person it's, yeah. Yeah. That's more the standard, but there was this one flight and I don't remember which airline it was because we took several, so many flights in the last one. Uh, But yeah, it was like 40, 45 minutes before my chair was ready which was yeah. insane. And, you yeah. know, they, they offer aisle chairs, which I always turn down because I can walk from the gate to the aisle. Yeah. Um, like I, you, what I do is I roll down to the end of the gate, right where you enter the, the plane, mm-hmm. park my chair there. And then I just use the cane to get to my seat, which is very, yeah. you know, just a few steps. Um, but they have a whole ton of other options. Like you can get a, an aisle chair or you can like people just get a chair in the, in the airport. They have a chair waiting for you at the gate. You know, a lot of people don't bring their own personal chairs, but you know, I have this amazing wheelchair. That's so incredibly wonderful to move around in. So I wanted to bring it. So I did. And it, you know, I I feel a lot less nervous about doing that now. Um, But I also feel like there is a potential for me to be able to take trips and not need a wheelchair in the future. You know, with the amount that I was able to walk on this trip, it's like, I absolutely needed the chair on the days I needed it, but there was, there was like a, a large chunk of days where I didn't use it at all, where I was just yeah. using the cane or even nothing, which yeah. is astonishing. Like something, something we are doing with my medication is working. You know, Ugh, we don't know yeah. what I have, mm-hmm. but we're honing in on it and something is working. And we're mm-hmm. within a couple of weeks of getting the results of my genetic testing. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's so interesting. Cause like some of the stuff with, you know, histamine intolerance or, other things with allergies could show up, connective tissue diseases, um, things like EDS could show up. Because now we're talking about me having um, mast cell activation syndrome and POTS, uh, potentially. Like, we don't know if I have mast cell at all yet. Like, we did the triptase test and it was negative. But um, mm-hmm. but that's the thing where it's like, unless you're exposed within, you know, like half an hour of taking the test to the thing that you react to, it will be normal. Um, so that's not very conclusive at all, but my doctor is talking about it and I had, you know, I seem to be doing better on the low histamine diet, but we don't know if that's why. Uh, and she's yeah. been talking about mast cell recently. So talking about that, talking about POTS, it's like, do I have the EDS triad? Do I have, you know, some form of EDS that is not the hypermobile form because I don't have hypermobility. Yeah. Um, but that would show up on the genetic testing. Um, that's a possibility. 
yeah. yeah. So it's like all, all these things are, you know, it's just so interesting because even the, the histamine diet, low histamine diet, there's a lot of similarities to the low copper diet that I did and felt better on, you know? And then all the copper testing came back. Oh, your copper level seems slightly low. It's not actually high. So yeah, that whole ordeal that we went through over the last year. Um, but everything is leading to the next thing. And I, I just, I don't know. It's also a little maddening to host this podcast and to talk to so many people where most of the people that were undiagnosed when they came on the show have since gotten diagnoses mm -hmm. and to still be the one who just has no idea. I have no idea what's going on. Um, but, but to finally have things that work is crazy, you know, to, to, to feel like they're working consistently over the course of like a month and a half now. And, you know, mm -hmm. I'm absolutely not out of the woods. I'm still in this flare up. I'm still like, you know, last night was yeah. the 4th of July. We went over to your parents' house and I had a great day, great evening. No, I take that back. I had a really bad day health-wise, but then I had a really good evening but then at the end of the day, I had such a bad crash. You had to like drag me out of your parents' house. I couldn't even, I could like barely move my leg. So mm -hmm. I'm definitely not out of the woods and it's still like really up in the air and like when I'm going to have energy and when I'm going to be able to use it. But mm -hmm. everything has gotten a little better. You know, mm -hmm. the, the, the pressure has been relieved just a little bit mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's been awesome. It's been so cool. You know, just like having those moments where it's like, I'm walking, you know, I'm walking yeah. here, you know? <laughs> hey, um, I'm walking here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's just, it's been yeah. so cool. And it's been so frustrating what you've been going through. I've been feeling so bad for you, just like, and trying as hard as I can to be there for you. Um, and it's been great that I've had a little more energy, energy to do so. You know, that's mm -hmm. been lucky. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how I I look at it. But it's also like, I, I've just been watching what you've been going through and you've just been going through so much back to back to back and then to get COVID and now to not be sure if you're having a rebound, which, you know, you were negative yesterday and today you have a slight line. So it's like, are you having a rebound? It's possible. Yeah, it was also a different um, test, right? at-home test. So we had a few different brands. So the one that I tested negative on yesterday is a different brand than the one I tested so, I mean, so slightly positive, like you have to be really looking for the line, but it's there. So it's really a matter of if tomorrow that line is stronger or gone, I think that will determine whether there's a rebound. Yeah. But yeah, it sucks. It's so, um, I feel so alone. I know I'm not, but you know, I haven't been able to really freely and safely feel like I can be inside with anybody for over a week. And it's, and then to then think today was going to be the day where I could like hug you and kiss you and be inside with you. And we could take a breath and be like, we got through it. And to have that line show up this morning. Yeah. It's just hard. It's yeah. just hard. It just really feels like you can't catch a break recently, like back to back to back bizarre traumatic things happening mm -hmm. and on top of that like you know we mentioned briefly that you had to up your dosage of the uh bromocryptine for your adenoma yeah. and if anyone's curious about yeah. that andy was a guest of major pain where we talked about her major pain which is her yep. pituitary adenoma uh back in season one and mm -hmm. you know i i've we've had so many conversations where you're just like i don't feel well and like 
I, mm-hmm. everything feels off and wrong. I'm like, you are on awful medication, you mm-hmm. know, and you've been on it for months. And this yeah. feeling of being, of feeling like everything is wrong, I feel like from the outside seems to have paralleled when you've been on that medication and gotten worse as you've had to up the dosage. And right. and it's also like this medication is meant to change your hormone levels um, to try to lower your prolactin and to try to shrink this pituitary adenoma. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like that's the goal is to shrink this thing to the point where it's not a, not a concern anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like anytime you have any hormonal shift can be really yeah. hard to manage. And you've just oh, been living inside that. of it for months and months and months. And it's yeah, so hard I, to remember that you're, that that's still on the table, you know? Yeah. So I, I've said this to Jesse um, and I've said this to my therapist, which again, if you can have access to therapy, highly recommend. But I feel a little like with that side of things, I'm in this finger trap where, so there are only two medications you can take to um, deal with a pituitary adenoma and a high prolactin. And one of them I don't tolerate and it does, it's not effective. And the other, the one I'm on now, I have to keep continuing to increase the dose for it to be bringing my prolactin down. And the goal is eventually that this medication is going to bring my prolactin all the way down to a normal range and shrink my adenoma ideally totally, or at least to the point where it stabilizes and it doesn't grow. And, you know, so, and then I can go off the medication and I can be free of all this, right? That's the goal. The thing is that, the more medication I take, which I need to do in order for it to be effective, the more imp- depression and anxiety and fatigue I feel. If I go off the medication, I would probably feel good for like a couple of months, but then my prolactin would start going up again and my nose would start growing. And then the side effect of that is other mental health challenges, including depression and anxiety. So, if I, there's really whichever direction I go to try to feel better, there you have to go through this difficulty. And the other option is brain surgery, which I'm really trying to avoid if I can. So <laughs> I'm in this spot where I have to really be strong and barrel through the side effects of this medication to get to a point where I can go off of it and safely maintain and in the meantime, it's just really hard. Yeah. It's just a really hard spot to be in. Yeah. And I've been, you know, it's been interesting because I've been encouraging you to lean a little bit on cannabis products because it does seem to really help mm-hmm. while I am completely off of them. I've been completely yeah. off of cannabis for like over a month now, which mm-hmm. is wild, you know, like, and the yeah. reason that happened is because I found, you know, I started on the anti-inflammatories constantly and that gave me. Uh, enough relief or even more relief than cannabis was giving me. Um, and cannabis was raising my heart rate. And this is something, this is a message that I think needs to get out there is that if you have pots, you know, you need to be really mindful of using cannabis products because I started to discover that the highest peaks of my heart rate were during days where I was using cannabis for pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I d- did a little reading about it, talked to my doctor about it and there does seem to be a correlation between cannabis use and a higher heart rate. So if you have POTS, I mean, it's all about trying to keep that 
heart rate from spiking when you change positions. Um, and for me, like that's when I was lying down with a heart rate of over a hundred. Uh, and I, I've discovered that my heart rate goes down by like 10 to even 20 beats per minute off of cannabis compared to on it. Well, I, I guess that's not necessarily true because I started metoprolol, which takes my heart rate down by, you know, I, on average, like I'll, I'll, when I sit up, my heart rate's like 80 and it used to be over a hundred. Um, and then with cannabis, like maybe like 115. So it seems to be like d- tears of my heart rate going down. I think this is a huge part of why I've been feeling better is that my heart rate has been lower. My heart rate is not, my heart is not racing out of control, you know, as if I'm in a flight or fl- fight or flight situation constantly, which is something I didn't even know was happening until I got a heart rate monitor. And that's something I learned to do from Michelle on this podcast yeah. in, our, in our POTS episode. Um, yep. one, well, one of many, but the one where we focus specifically on POTS. So, um, yeah, so I, I discovered that correlation that my heart rate was higher on cannabis at this right around the same time where I accidentally discovered that anti-inflammatories were helping. So mm-hmm. I just swapped them out. Mm-hmm. But I feel the thing that's been really tough for me is like feeling like my coping mechanisms have been kind of ripped away from me, mm-hmm. which like cannabis was huge and green tea was huge and like certain foods, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of things that have all been taken away at once, but I'm feeling better. So I'm just... You know, I'll do anything to feel better. I, I will yeah. give up anything to feel better. Yeah. Uh, so I always just, I, I'm pretty good at that self-discipline. And when I'm just like making the rules for myself, it's like, okay, green tea feels better. Uh, it makes me happy. Cannabis feels better, makes me happy. Those are the things I'm going to do. Um, but now we have evidence to the contrary. So it's like, okay, well, they're gone. You know, they're gone. Can't, can't use them at all. And if I don't have mast cell or I don't have histamine intolerance, we can bring some green tea back in. Um, and I'm hoping to get to the point where we, we can get my heart rate under control to the point where I could maybe use cannabis recreationally. But I okay. think my days of using it every day as a coping mechanism to deal with chronic illness and chronic pain are mm-hmm. over, at least for now. And, yeah. and it's weird. It's like, you know, going through cycles. Um, yeah. Where I'm, you know, one of the, one of the side effects for, high prolactin or often can come in tandem is limited dopamine in the brain. So, uh, so my dopamine levels are very likely low or lower. And so cannabis helps with that. But I also do, I have a lot of feelings about leaning on it and using it every day. And I I haven't been using it every day, but yeah, but using it even with any amount of regularity. It it, it can be such a helpful tool, you know, like, For, yeah. I used it for over five years, almost every day. And it got me through those years, you mm-hmm. know, like it during that flare up when I couldn't work and my body wasn't working, cannabis was the only thing that was helpful. And looking back now, I think that maybe there's an anti-inflammatory element to it that might've been helping. Um, mm-hmm. But it also, you know, everything yeah. has a side effect. And I think that my heart rate issues... I don't, I don't know how long they've existed because I didn't know to look for them and no doctors ever checked, but, uh, I know that they're there now. And I know that there's a correlation now between that and my cannabis use. It's like it, but it's not every time, you know, but it just, since I've been on this new medication regimen, taking cannabis actually doesn't even feel good anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. it's kind of changed how it's reacting to my body. And I've always felt like cannabis was like fixing something that was wrong. And I think now we're kind of doing that with different medications and the cannabis doesn't fit in that picture anymore. Yeah. I'm still yeah. very pro, 
you know, I anyone who's using it and it's helping them, I'm very pro. Uh, I used it every day for years. And, but I've been saying to Andy for a while, it's like, I really feel like I need to find something different than the cannabis mm-hmm. to use. Um, yeah. Because, you know, cannabis is unpredictable. It's like some days it would really help and some days not as much. And I, but I want to, I, you know, I want to be able to use it for fun. I, I'd love to get to that point. Like that would be, that would feel like such a victory. Um, but yeah. I don't know, but I'm right now not using it feels like a victory because I finally find th- something that is helping, you know, like whatever it is, if it's the low histamine, if it's the anti-inflammatory, uh, I don't know, but something's helping. And I just excited to see what happens next. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, we did it. This was great. Um, (laughs) We're both in such different places right now. And not just like physically and emotionally, but also locationally, because you're in your apartment. But, you know, (laughs) we're, I don't know, we're on this journey together. And it's just so bizarre to both of us take this weird turn at the same time in different directions. Yeah, I really want to get on the same page. Yeah. It feels like a teeter-totter and I just think we are due for some time where we both feel good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's something, there's like the practical element of like the teeter-tottering allows us to continue to survive because we can care for each other. Mm -hmm. But it would be so awesome to level out and to both be in the same zone and to go have some adventures together where mm-hmm. we both have fun. Yeah, we've got to do it. We've got to make it happen. There's got to be a way. You know? It's yeah. like it can't be it can't be like this forever. It's just yeah, there it has won't be. to be shifts. It won't be like this forever. You know like Yeah. I, yeah, I, it won't. I'm I'm old enough now to think back on all the ups and downs and recognize that everything is temporary. And when you're up, you have to appreciate it and when you're down, you have to get through it. Yeah. And just like you know, put your head down and and remind yourself that it's temporary and make every day the best version of that day that you can mm-hmm. and get through it. And then when the good day when the good day happens, when good things are happening around you, um, don't I, I it's hard to let go of the fear that they're gonna end, you know, yeah. that, that it's temp that that's temporary as well. But like being that's the moment to be present and to enjoy yourself. And yeah. you know, that's something that I've learned through this process that I think allowed me to really enjoy the good days that we had over the last month on these trips mm-hmm. in a way that I wouldn't have been able to in the past. And that's something I'm grateful for. Definitely. Yeah. Well, next week we'll be right. back with uh, another awesome conversation uh, that I recorded with Stacy, who has um, endometriosis and Hashimoto's. I recorded that during the week between our trips but unfortunately, wasn't able to get it out last week just because there was so much going on. I just ran out of time to prep the episode. But that'll be coming out next week. And I've got a bunch of recordings lined up over the next few weeks. Uh, and then, as I mentioned in the intro to this podcast, we have a really exciting um, live event happening through the Connect Trust Society. So lots of great stuff coming up on the podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. Make sure you are subscribed. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine, 
from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Brooke Walters Schmidt, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, and Alexandria Henderson. And our $25 per month producers Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.